Welcome to Leverage Women Podcast, where we equip, inspire, and connect women in the leadership that God has called them to. So welcome to our podcast, Anne. We're so glad that you could join us today. My name is Krista Penner, and I'm here with Anne Bernard Ball from New Hope Ministries, or actually New Hope Community Services that work out of Surrey. And she's going to be sharing with us today some of her journey in leadership and some of the things that she does with New Hope. So welcome, Anne. We're so glad you're here. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. We're kind of new to this podcasting thing and we're doing our best with it. Just really wanting to connect with our Leverage tribe and also with our Fellowship Pacific family. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a feeling that when we're done here today, we'll be looking at the content and realizing that this is really applicable, not just to women who are in ministry, but to people who are in ministry, people who are joined with our fellowship and want to know what's happening with some of our ministries, our partnering ministries. Because as you know, uh, we really value the partnerships that we have with Mm -hmm. ministries like your own and the things that you're doing to really be the arms and feet of Jesus in our community. So uh, we're going to just start today, Anne, by getting to know you a little bit. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about your early life, where you grew up, what you did for fun, uh, how you saw God shaping you, uh, even in childhood for the things that he was going to call you to. So I grew up in Cambridge, Ontario, um, about an hour west of Toronto, um, but also spent a lot of time in southwestern Ontario in a place where nobody's ever heard called Durham Centre and Otterville because my grandparents had a dairy farm there. And because both my parents worked, I spent my summers working on the farm with my grandfather and uh, loved every minute of being on the farm with him. And uh, when they sold the farm, they uh, built a small house in Otterville, Ontario, which is a village and had a ton of fun terrorizing uh, the village with my cousins and uh, roller skating was a big part of my life. Um, hanging out with my friends. My mother would always lament the fact that I had my nose in a book all the time. And uh, music was a big part of my life as well. My mom's father was a piano tuner by trade. And so taking music lessons was a non-negotiable. It just, it had to happen. And so I started piano lessons when I was four and I finished when I was 22. And uh, so my piano teacher, Mrs. Last, was a big part of my life. At my wedding, um, she was like a an aunt to me more than anything. Uh, and so music has always been a huge part of, of what I do to blow off steam um, and enjoy it. Um, my first job was very appropriate for a bookworm at Cambridge Public Library and uh, shelving books there. So that was, that was a good first job. And uh, I also did a stint in university in a factory And that really helped me appreciate my parents who both worked in factories, but taught me that I really didn't think I was cut out for factory work. And so it was a really good impetus to continue with my education and uh, pursue my university and now graduate studies as well. So um, I value people who work in factories. They do a tremendous work and just not not what I'm cut out to do. (laughs) It's just fascinating to hear this part of your journey because uh, you talk about being a bookworm, you talk about, you know, you know, your education. Where in that journey did Mm. you kind of go, oh, I think I'm aspiring, I'm an aspiring leader. Did you ever think of yourself as a leader in those days? Never, never. 
never. Um, I mean, I grew up in a Christian family, so often we didn't, we didn't talk about that sort of stuff. You just were, right? And I can't remember a time when I wasn't a person of faith. And although I gave my life to Christ at the age of five, um, and so I guess you could say I was a leader in that I was always rounding people up to come to a wanna club at, that my church held, um, and my friends would all come to that, but never ever considered that as part of who I was. It was just one of the one of the gang. That's yeah. fascinating. So really, mm -hmm. that concept of leadership is just being like Jesus in your life. Mm -hmm really started to pave a path that you didn't even know where it was going to lead. Yeah. And I think my parents were great examples of that. Um, you know, I grew up in a low income family um, and my parents were always exhibiting some leadership in terms of helping people who had less than we did. And uh, my mom was a big supporter of uh, single women and um, making sure they had groceries for their kids and making food for them because she had a little bit of a catering business on the side. And so she was always doing practical things to help people. And uh, that's how she was wired. Um, the other thing that happened in her life was uh, there was a, a breakup um, in their family between her brother and um, parents. And my mom was the peacemaker in that as well and brought the family back together again. And so she hated being the center of attention, but what she demonstrated was this uh, back end kind of working together, talking to people, um, being a peacemaker um, and bringing our family back together to wholeness again. And so I'm incredibly proud when I think of what she did and how that has affected our family. Even now when many of, you know, my mom is, with Alzheimer's and long-term care now, her sister's passed away. Like we're in the next generation now and that, that uh, bridging has kind of continued to my generation, which makes me really proud of my mom showing that type of leadership, but she would never describe herself as a leader either. Um, she was always in the background making it happen, um, but never drawing attention to herself. Well, it's interesting uh, just even hearing this part of your story, recognizing how that value of peacemaking, that value of building a bridge, that value of bringing people together. Do you see how, when you look at what you've, even as you verbalize it today, as we talk about it, yeah. are you seeing the trend and how God was using that to prepare you for what he's brought you to now? Without question. Talk to us a little bit about the, that connection and a little bit about what you're doing now. Yeah, so I have spent probably, oh, this makes me feel really old when I say this, 25 years in philanthropy, so working with nonprofit organizations, and that has now led me to New Hope Community Services. So actually, last week was my first full year at New Hope, um, and so, yeah, I know, time flies, um, and so we provide transitional housing for refugees, so we are their first home in Canada. And so we have families coming from around the world. Well, maybe not at the moment, um, but, but we have families from around the world, nine different countries that live in our building and bringing different types of trauma that they've experienced, which works itself out in all kinds of different ways that we can't plan for. Um, and so it's also great when you see this group of people who have nothing in common except for living at New Hope 
uh, come together and develop this sense of belonging um, to each other, to New Hope, to Surrey, to Canada. Um, and so it's really awesome to see that kind of uh, connection being formed. Uh, we have 28 children in our building, so 13 units with 28 children. So it's a bit wild, except during COVID, right? So it's a little bit calmer right now, but it's, it's a pretty wild building. And our newest is, what, two months old? And our eldest currently is 14 uh, of the children that live in the building. And so um, it's great to have the kind of impact on them and work with them and their parents and, and just see what God has in store for their life as they adjust to their life here in Canada. And being a family as well. Like I think it's important, um, that sense of belonging that I mentioned, they've left behind all of their support network. And, you know, with modern communications and our cell phones, you know, they're really adept at using technology to stay in touch with their family at home, but it's not the same. Um, they don't have people to have them over for dinner. They don't have people to talk to or meet up with. Um, and so New Hope provides a lot of that community for them that they've, they've left behind. You know, it's interesting when you talk about just that last little phrase, even just they don't have any community here that or a support network like they had back home. And I don't know how it is for you, but I'm recognizing as we've been all isolated at home during this um, pandemic, that how much we need that. Yeah. And how easy I'm finding, what's been fascinating is how easy it is to sort of turtle back into a shell and kind of be, you know, as my one psychiatrist friend says, have COVID bloom. She's a doctor of psychiatry and she phoned me and she goes, I'm having a bit of COVID bloom. And I went, no, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. You sort of turtle back into this place and it's very isolating and it's very lonely. And yet there's something inside you that hardly has the energy to overcome it. Mm -hmm. So when I think about that affecting me, in the middle of my community where I know everyone. I can't even right. imagine how that is for these new families coming right. in. It's almost like instead of the hurdle of one wall right now, they've got the hurdle of two walls. Right Three, now. because you've got a layer on that language barrier on top of it, right? right? Yeah. And yeah. so they can't read a road sign or, and, 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 and I'm overstating it because many of our families do have some very basic English. Some don't, some do, um, but you've got that layer on top where you know, colloquialisms that we would use in our phraseology when we speak, they don't understand what that means. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so it's, it's just, it's different. And we're grateful during this time that they're so adept with technology because we have WhatsApp, which has been brilliant. And so we've got people right, reading stories over WhatsApp to the kids and, you know, keeping in touch. We do Zoom with our families. We have pizza parties over Zoom so that everyone can see each other. And so, so we're learning, we're re-engineering what we're doing on the fly right now. And it seems to be working well. Um, it doesn't replace the face-to-face. -face. Um, you know, certainly it's hard when you have a family who moves out and you can't hug them goodbye. Um, on Friday, we welcomed a new family into our building and you couldn't hug them hello or do the face-to-face -face that we would normally do. It's done differently, but the work continues. Yeah. So there's been some creativity and ingenuity that's had to take place as you've led your team. Mm -hmm. so 
what does that look like? Like when you, this whole thing, you know, because really what we want to talk about today is what's happening in New Hope and also just this paradigm of leading people. And what are some of the things that you've done to inspire the people that you work with, keep them committed to what they're doing and get creative in overcoming some of the obstacles you're facing? Mm -hmm. Well, I think a lot of it is, uh, I don't, I, I, I don't know that it's necessarily me. It's, it's a team effort. And um, certainly we have um, gone to WebEx uh, because it's free um, for all of our team meetings and things like that. It doesn't replace the face-to-face. -face. So we are, we've gone through like a grieving process, I would describe it, where we've lamented over the fact that we weren't, we aren't what we were and we aren't what we want to be. Um, but, but there's been this creativity. And I think once you kind of start going through that grieving process, some of those creative juices start to kick in. Um, and so, you know, a lot of it is around the team generating. So if it's, if it's an edict from me, um, it's very different than if it's team led and it, it comes from the bottom up, so to speak. Um, and so it's providing the opportunity to have those kind of conversations and giving people freedom, uh, to dream differently. Um, and so it's involved simple things from the beginning around providing bubbles and having kids blowing bubbles on their balconies and, um, you know, donors offering books and, and educational workbooks and doing book drops around the building so that families can have some books and some workbooks for their kids. It's about trying to find ways to do community um, differently. And so, you know, we had a, a donor fun pizza for every apartment built, apartment in the in the suite and then we launched a zoom call with the whole building we launched doing kids we have a kids club that we do every week we launched doing that on zoom last week uh, with scavenger hunts lego building contests um, all kinds of stuff we've also learned how to use our phones again um, you know it's about having phone calls and checking in with our families making sure everyone's okay um, it's also been really interesting because this is a season of move outs for us. Um, we had about eight families scheduled to move out between January and August. And so we said to our families, you know what, it's COVID, don't move. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, stay with us. We want you to be safe and we don't want you out there looking. But because no one else is out looking, there's some great affordable units that have come on the market. And so a lot of our families have chosen to move. But for us, the borders are closed. So where do we find families to now move into our building? And so, um, you know, we've got a number of families who when they come to Canada end up in a shelter. And so we have a family that moved in from a shelter on Friday and we have another family currently in temporary accommodation who came into the country just as the lockdown was starting, who will likely be moving in at the end of the month. And so um, those pieces are important for us. And, you know, I look at lockdown and the borders in particular, and I think about all of the people who were scheduled to move here and everything just suddenly stopped. And now they're in really precarious positions in dangerous places, in urban settings, most of them, um, with no ability to work, no food, where are they living, are they on the street? And so I'm really anxious for the government to open up the borders, even if we have to put in some tighter quarantine um, methods for them when they arrive, but they need to be in a place of safety. Um, and so I'm hoping that that will, that will change soon. So, you know, we've got a lot of creative things. I mean, one of the challenges as a leader, you think about it, money. Um, and for us, 70% of our money comes in between September and December. 
Well, what does that look like for us this year? I don't have the answer for that. Um, and so there's a certain amount of tension and anxiety that comes with that. But there's also some creative thinking around that as well. And um, stay tuned, but we have some ideas on, on what we can do uh, around that to make sure we're still around long-term to help families who need us. Oh, that's excellent. I'm going to change channels just mm. a little bit and kind mm -hmm. of take you, um, kind of take you, like I know a little bit about your background and you've worked, as you said, for the last 25 years in uh, not-for-profits and mm -hmm. you've done uh, extensive work with people who need help, need a helping hand. And one of the questions that I had wanted to poise to you was, uh, was, you know, just in your career trajectory, and as you know, you've worked with Christian organizations seeking to help marginalize the marginalized and impact them with the gospel through practical help. Um, you've also worked with at least one organization where uh, that was seeking to influence shifts in culture through relational gospel evangelism. So kind of the juxtaposition of two different approaches to the gospel. And I wondered if you wanted to speak a little bit to our, re our listeners just around uh, some of the differences that you've seen in those two approaches and where you've seen the most gospel impact. Great question. I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I think part of it is that it's impossible to tell. I think that you know um, we plant seeds throughout our work, and we don't necessarily get to be the people who water them and then pick the fruit at the end of the day. So I think it's really hard to say what that looks like. Um, I think that as I as I look at society today. Um, I think that there's a lot of change that's happened and how we need to do ministry. Um, and so, you know, um, I think at, at Power to Change Campus Crusade, um, it was very much about um, proclamation ministry. And now we've got people who are on university campuses who've never heard of God. And so, you know, campus ministry started about sharing your faith. Now you actually have to take it five, four or five steps backward. You can't assume that someone has heard who God is. And so it's changed how ministry happens. Um, I think that um, when we look at sort of the social justice area, it opens a door to have some of those conversations because you are providing practical help. I would also argue that it's very dangerous because it's easy to do the help without the gospel piece. And so I think for a lot of organizations, there's a real risk of drift away from founding principles. Uh, you can look at Harvard, um, Christian Children's Fund, the YMCA, like you can start to name some of those organizations who have made that decision to remove faith or gospel uh, from their work. And now they're, you know, they've, they've completely walked away from, from their founding principles. And so I'm passionate for New Hope to bake that into who we are and our guiding principles, mission, vision, values, um, because I think it is important for us to always stay focused on the why we do this, um, because I think it's far too easy to drift away from that. Um, at the same time, we want to balance that in doing it well so that people don't think we're just helping them because we're trying to convert them. That's part of what we want to have are those kind of conversations. But every human uh, life 
it deserves to be treated with dignity. And I think this, uh, you know, this provides us with an opportunity to do that. Well, you bring up such a good point, and I do. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just yeah, no. The whole idea of understanding and not drifting from your values and drifting yeah. from your original mission—that really is a message that uh, anyone in leadership listening to this podcast needs to be reminded of. Uh, it's always going back to: Am I behaving like what I really want? Am I in align? Is my behavior, my actions, in alignment with what I say I'm going to do or where I say I'm going to go? Yeah. And it is so easy to, to drift. Well, and when you're in an organization that's dependent on donor dollars, uh, it's really easy to chase the dollars. And if you've got a donor who says, you know, I'd love to give you more, but you need to tone down the faith stuff. Um, that's really hard to say no to. Um, you know, one of the people in my life, um, Dr. Brian Stiller was, I worked for him twice, once at the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, once at Tyndale College and Seminary. He once turned down a gift, a large gift. We were, for, for the people who know Tyndale's history, we were bankrupt when I started there. And the goal was to try and get us operational again. And, um, and there was a many figure gift, like it was a multi-million dollar gift on the table, but the donor wanted to have a voice in operations. And we actually turned that gift down. And that's always been something that I thought was very courageous. Um, and, and, and it is a danger point for those of us who do have responsibility on the revenue side is to chase the dollars and forget and drift away from the actual mission and your own calling too um, as part of that. And so that's always something I talk to my team about is I am attracted by dollar signs and I need people around me who will speak truth to me and say, and that's really stupid. Um, and I value those people in my life um, because you know, you can get full of yourself very, very easily. You can chase those dollars and ruin something really, really good um, by doing that. Yeah, it's a really good point that you make. I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think that we do struggle with that. We struggle with, it's, it's almost like there's, it's a little bit of the ego thing and the people pleasing thing kind of intersecting together. And, and then you're in a place where you can make a decision or the decision falls on you. And so that idea of having accountability uh, with your team, with your board, and also just that continuous reminder uh, about what your mission is. I know in our organization, we do little pop quizzes with our mission and we do little pop quizzes with uh, what our values are and we gotta like fill in the blank, literally yeah. in a staff meeting. And it sounds so crazy and so fundamental and yet it's so key because then what happens is, is, is you ingest and know mission and you know the values, you know uh, long-term vision, you know the short term of where you're going, mm -hmm. all of those things. It just sort of starts, uh, it, gets in, it gets infused into those, the daily decisions that you make. Right, exactly. Yeah, and, and it and actually makes those bigger decisions easier to make. Exactly, because you already know, oh wait, this doesn't fit through my filter, therefore we cannot do it. Some of us are a little bit slow. Like uh, I had a situation a couple of weeks ago and, and I saw dollars and I was like, I can totally make this happen. And I'm figuring out how I can, I was like, wait a second, don't. <laughs> like stop trying to make a square peg fit into a round hole because it's not meant to be, just leave it alone. Um, 
And you know, it's interesting is, is you talk about it in the context of dollars and cents. And I, in my brain, immediately go to even programs. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not just the money, but it's even, you know, somebody comes along and says, I'm going to give you money for this program, or I'm going to help you get some program off the ground within your portfolio. In my instance, of portfolio, you, it's an entire organization and you go, I can make that work. Let's see, we can massage it this way or we describe it that way. It could, it could potentially be a thing. Exactly. And a year down the road and you're like, what are we doing? Like we are spending an exorbitant amount of our time trying, as you've said, just fit that square peg into a round hole. And you realize how quickly in your leadership, you can make a decision that takes you off course. Exactly. From where you had planned to go. And so I think that's such a good reminder for all of us who are in leadership to get back to the basics. I was just, uh, I got uh, an email this morning from um, my uh, a dearly loved family member uh, helping me understand the conspiracy that's happening right now during COVID. And, you know, you read and you, you know, you have this big panic and, and, you know, it's all the way back to the League of Nations in the early part of, you know, the, of the 1900s and the home, you know, you're, you're looking at all this and I'm like, oh, Lord, give me some, I went, to, I wrote Psalm 16 out on a piece of paper and one of the key phrases in there is where david says lord you are my in you i am secure you are my insecurity you are my security and i've written in my bible from even before today it says in there no more insecurity and it's that it's getting back to what's really important when your feet hit the ground in the morning i'm here to serve the lord with my life what's going to happen tomorrow i cannot control what's even going to happen this afternoon i can't control mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's such a good reminder uh, in what you're saying. So that's excellent. I'm going to ask you another question. These are sure. really great, and you've got such great answers. Uh, want you to tell us what gives you the most satisfaction and joy in your role as the executive director at New Hope? That's hard. Um, you know, I, th- I think um, there's so much. Uh, I look at our families and their resiliency. Um, I mean, they've been through so much. Um, what I like to say is they have been through the things that you and I have watched on television from the safety of our living room. They've actually lived and been through that stuff. And so to see them come to Canada, to see their kids start to thrive in school, to see them you know, pick up conversational English, um, that is incredibly rewarding. Um, I think I'm incredibly proud with the team. Um, and that gives me a great sense of joy in seeing how they managed to navigate through COVID. There is no playbook for this. Um, you know, I was in Toronto during SARS. I remember, um, working in child welfare, you know, there's a lot of concern. We put some parameters. It was nothing like this. And, um, and seeing how the team has kind of gone from this kind of grieving process to a processing to a, what do we need to do to, how can we do it better? How can we do it different? How do we do this long-term? Um, I think it's been really really great to see that gelling effect that's happened. Doesn't mean it's been easy. 
uh, doesn't mean we've all agreed um, in what the best approach has been, um, but I'm really proud of the depth of care that they have for the families that we have in our building. Um, I love our community dinner. So every other week, we have a church or a group that comes in and provides a meal for the entire building. So they're feeding 65-ish people. And watching our families, who again, only reason they know each other is that they live in our building, enjoy each other's company and have fun um, is beyond words. And watching our staff, um, I, one, of our, uh, one of our dinners in February, I kind of, I'm always in the middle of the action. And so I kind of took a step back and I just wanted to observe and see what was happening. And, you know, I saw every staff member go to every single person, every single child, greet them, um, welcome them, talk to them. And, and it, it's really a beautiful thing to watch. Um, you know, language barrier, you make yourself known. Um, you know, we do conflict resolution by Google Translate, which is a very interesting process. <laughs> um, but just watching our team do all of this stuff, it's just like, wow, this is amazing. Um, I think despite COVID as well, just watching how God has just been providing for us, um, I could sit here and weep over. Um, doesn't mean we have like, we're not rolling in money, but all of our needs have been provided for at this moment in time. And to me, that's an affirmation that what we're doing is on target, we're honoring the Lord, um, and we're making a difference for the kingdom. Um, and so, so those, I think, are the key things that give me a deep level of satisfaction. Uh, I think when you're in a small organization like New Hope, uh, it expands your horizons. You know, when you're power to change a big organization, right? $35 million organization, a couple hundred employees, and you have a lane and you stay in your lane, right? The joy of being in a small organization is there might be lanes, but there might not be. And so there's just a lot of freedom, right, to learn new things. And so watching some of our staff come in, our summer student come in and learn and experience new things is great joy for me as well. Watching them grow and blossom in who they are and figuring out what God has for them in their life um, is also really satisfying for me as well. Oh, that's, that's really beautiful. I wanted to ask you that question because I remember hearing you talk about New Hope at that breakfast we were at mm, mm -hmm. in January and you lit up like you were articulate. It was a, you told us a beautiful story that helped us understand uh, what New Hope Community Services is all about. And it inspired me to want to know more. And I thought about that in the context of being a leader. Part of your job is to inspire. Part of your job is to tell the story. And as a leader, we need to understand the narrative and we need to ask ourselves the question, is this narrative touching the deepest part of me, and am, 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 I, am I inspiring a vision in others because I've been inspired, and I see that in you. It's such a beautiful thing to see, and you make me want to know more about what's happening at New Hope, but you also make me, you, you also instill confidence in me that I could, I could work for you because you're a great leader, and, and that's part of what we need to be building in, each, in, in ourselves in order to do the stuff that God's called us to do. And so, you know, as we wrap this thing up today, I just want to ask you uh, a question, and I don't know what your answer is going to be. I'm curious to know. But 
You're a seasoned leader. You've been down the road a while now. You've worked for a number of organizations. You and I have had some amazing conversations over the last number of years, just about leading and the dynamic of people and team and all of that stuff. And if I ushered you into a room and it was filled with uh, young women who were in their 20s and they were uh, all aspiring to be leaders, what would you say to them if I handed you the mic? I would say a few things. Um, I would say it's okay to stand alone. Um, I think there are moments in your career, in your leadership, in your ministry, where you have to make decisions that are difficult and unpopular. And people will try and persuade you that uh, what you want to do or the decision that you've made is wrong, it should be different, you should do it a different way. Um, and people will try and convince you until they're blue in the face that their way is the right way. And it's okay to stand alone. It's lonely, but it's okay to stand alone. When you have a conviction um, that something is right and something needs to be done a particular way. Um, don't be stupid about it. Take advice. But when you make your decision, stand by it. Stand alone if you have to. And know that that's absolutely okay. I would say you are a confident woman. And you have every right to be at the table. And you need to show off the reason why you're at the table and never apologize for being a female. We have an incredible amount of gift to offer. And uh, you sit at that table because you are there because you deserve to be there. I would say be bold and take risks, but take them, be smart about it. Um, I think there are a few things when I look back, there are a few risks I wish I had taken. Um, but I was a little too conservative. And so, you know, take calculated risks, be smart about it. Um, but there are times in your life where you need to bet the farm. You need to be careful about that though. As you get higher in leadership, we become a little bit more conservative because it's not just us anymore. We have the weight of other people that we have responsibility for, and that's where we need to be really smart about what the risks are. I would also say surround yourself with people, I mentioned this earlier, people who speak truth. Um, I have people in my life who I trust to tell me when I'm being really dumb. Um, throughout my career, I have had people who have been really great at um, both affirming me and correcting me. And I think that that's really important. It's easy to surround yourself with people who will affirm you and say yes to you all the time, but you are a better person when you've got people around you who will tell you when you're being stupid. Um, I'd also say have fun. You know, fun is a big part. Like we deal with heavy issues. You know, as I look back on my career, you know, worked with abused and neglected children, people who lived on the street, I, refugees who've been through all kinds of war and violence. These are heavy, 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 traumatic issues. And I think it's really easy to, um, to let that get you down and become depressed about what's wrong with the world. There's a lot right with the world too, and we have a hand in helping make it right. 
but I think it's important to have fun with your team, with your family, find ways to blow off steam that restore you and not numb you. Um, so figure out what those things are in your life that help restore you um, and really latch on to those things. I'd also say be well-read and a lifetime learner. Um, I think that when we stop learning, we stop growing as a leader. Um, I think there's tons of great resources available to us, um, which we take and you apply and nothing's ever perfect. It never ever fits like hand in glove, but there's still ideas that we can apply. Um, and then the final thing I think I would say is be confident in who gives you your strength. Um, Proverbs 21:31 talks about being ready for battle, but the victory rests with the Lord. And so in leadership, we have a responsibility to plan and strategize and do all those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, it's really God who is in control. And so um, I find that incredibly reassuring because I make a lot of mistakes. I make bad decisions. I do stupid things. Um, but at the end of the day, I know that God can take my attempts and make it into something beautiful. Um, and so victory rests with him and, and to me. Um, that's really important is to remember who you're grounded in. Oh, that's really beautiful. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think that was, I think that group of 20 something year olds sitting in that room would get some really sage advice from you and yeah, take those risks. I look, I'm, I listen to your story and I listen to some of the things that you've said and go, Oh my goodness. Yeah, I've done the same thing. I should have, there was times I should have, I should have bet the farm mm -hmm. on a few things. And there are times when I have tried to do things in my own strength and not remembered where my strength comes from. It's, and, and it's, it, it's applicable across the board. It's everything from the insecurities that you have to the decisions you make or you don't make or the places that you go. It's the whole, you can question everything as a leader you can get up in the morning and really by the time you've had your first cup of coffee convinced yourself that you probably should resign yeah, exactly. and do a sourdough starter like that's kind of what we can do and and i think sometimes uh in this paradigm of leadership we need to be reminded that we are not alone in those thinking processes that we all go to those uh, even the most successful seasoned leaders get up in the morning, look in the mirror and go, what in the world? Absolutely. Like, how is it me? That's they even have a name for it. It's called imposter syndrome, right? I'm an imposter. Why am I here? Yeah. You know, I faked it all the way to get to this point and nobody's figured it out yet. Oh, I know. I, I figured it out. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree. I mean, I can tell you times when I've been sitting in the front row at a conference and they're about to introduce me and I'm supposed to go up and speak and I'm looking around and going, why am I doing this? Somebody else should be doing this. What? And I'm like, Lord, help me. I don't even know what I'm going to say when I get up there. Like that's what goes through your mind. Yeah. And so very good advice. Very good advice. Okay. I said that was the last question. I have one more last question. Okay. <laughs> Just want to know, I want our readers, our listeners, I keep saying readers or listeners to know, uh, what kind of books are you reading these days? Oh, great question. What's a fave that you think people should read? Mm. So right now, I, I've been doing a lot of inner work because I'm not really good. I have, so 
some of your listeners will have Berkman. Uh, so I have a very extremely high activity score. I'm a 97 out of 100 and I have a thought score of four. So I'm moving and I'm making decisions, right? Like I'm moving and I don't take time. And I feel like if I sit down and I contemplate and I think of all the other things I should be doing that are much more productive. And so I really struggle with that in my life. And so I um, picked this, oops, I got a big post-it kind of note on the front. Um, I'm going back to Dallas Willard's this the spirit of the disciplines right now. So this is one of my books. I'm also working on a master's degree. So a lot of what I'm reading isn't what I would necessarily choose to read. So I'm reading on humanitarianism and suffering. I'm also reading Alexis de Tocqueville um, on liberty by John Stuart Mill. And uh, the theory of the division of labor and society by Emile Durkheim. So a lot of philosophy at the moment yeah. as I'm beginning the part, the thinking part of my thesis. So, um, so not a lot. So this is, this is my good one. Um, yeah. the other one, do I have that here? No, I don't have it on my desk. Um, my board has just gone through the book Mission Drift, um, which is written by, it's a faith perspective, but it talks about how easy it is for faith organizations to drift away from their founding values. Um, so those, those are the big ones at the moment. That's excellent. Um, I know that I have to stay on track with reading something that keeps me focused on the right stuff. We read quite a bit, of course, with our, our organization also. But yeah. what hit me lately is that book, You Are What You Love by James K. Smith. Oh, wow. uh, it's on the liturgies uh, and rituals that really it's discipleship seen through the through the eyes of, of liturgy. And my sister is sending me, uh, I don't know if it's the Book of Common Prayer, but she's sending me yes. a liturgical book that she found in a, found it's, I think it, the one she's sending me might be Presbyterian in its background, I'm not sure, because she's a Presbyterian. But just the idea of, of dwelling on the scripture and letting it, letting what I know to be true of God inform the decisions that I make and confronting liturgies in my life that aren't God honoring and recognizing that I am what I worship mm -hmm. and what am I worshiping? How am I worshiping? So it's been really good. I, I like to get up and go also my my thoughts course a little higher than yours Anne, but I do know you're wearing a red sweater yeah. which would really speak to your high activity score in the Berkman. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just saying. I'm just saying. Um, just kind of going back on the liturgy, one of the other great books that I use on a daily basis is The Divine Hours by Phyllis Tickle. And uh, so that comes from, I believe, like a more Catholic, uh, Anglican type of perspective, but it has morning, midday, and vespers. And it, it's a walk through a psalm, um, uh, some scripture, common prayer, uh, prayer for the church. And I have found that really helpful for me in my faith, you know, and some of the struggles I've had over the years with it. Um, and, and so that is, that is really sort of a grounding thing for me every morning, a little bit lax at noon because, you know, it's a thick book and I don't carry it around with me, but morning and night in particular, um, I found that really, really helpful and appreciate the liturgy um in that book um so yeah the divine hour so it's winter spring summer and fall oh that's very interesting yeah, that sounds good i i know that the discipline 
of getting my nose into the scripture, it, it does something to my soul. And that's really what James K. Smith talks about, the change in it, taking it from here, from your head, and having it actually move your heart and how it doesn't happen overnight. It's a long, it, it's a long obedience, as Eugene mm -hmm. says, in the same direction. And it's been really powerful. Well, you know what? I'm just so grateful that we could spend this time together. I know you are a busy woman. You've probably got an appointment right after this. So we are gonna sign off, but I wanna thank you for our listeners in uh you'll find that when we post this podcast we will have information on new hope community services a website so if you wanted to get in touch with Anne, you were wanting to uh, give a donation to new hope uh, you want to know how you can help or get involved if you're in the local area uh, we will have information available for you to do that and Anne, i just thank you today for taking the time to have this really great conversation really great way to get the day off to a good start today so thank, thank you for inviting me it's been fun